Good morning. May the grace of God be with you. We welcome all of you to First Presbyterian Church of St. Albans, and we are delighted that you are worshiping with us today. We do have one important announcement. At the request of the session of the First Presbyterian Church of St. Albans, the annual meeting of the congregation has been set for 1115, immediately following the worship service on Sunday, January 31st. Due to the current closure of our church building because of the COVID-19, the congregational meeting will be held via Zoom. And the login details for the meeting will be provided to members of our congregation as we get closer to the day of the meeting. Uh, let me check the church calendar. We do have the Presbyterian Women Bible Study on Tuesday via Zoom at 7 o'clock. And we also have a Bible study on Wednesday evening at 6.30 via Zoom. So I hope you'll be able to uh, join those. Uh, that being said, let us worship God.
Let us worship the triune God. And now our gathering song, Be Thou My Vision. Christ be with you. And also with you. Please join me in the call to confession. If anyone sins, we have someone who pleads with the Father on our behalf, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And Christ himself is the means by which our sins are forgiven, and not our sins alone, but also the sins of the whole world. Let us confess our sins before God and one another. Almighty and merciful God, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy law. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. O oh Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare those who confess their faults. Restore those who are penitent according to your promises. Declare to the world in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O merciful God, for his sake, that we may live a holy, just, and humble life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Friends, hear this assurance of pardon that comes to us from the Old Testament. See, I have separated your sins as far as the east is from the west, that your sins may be as scarlet, I have washed them white as snow. The good news in Christ's coming to earth is that he came to forgive us, to set us free from the bondage of sin, and to lead us into the newness of a brand new existence of life. So know that you have been forgiven, and be set free. And also pray for me, a sinner. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At the time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I do not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. 
Samuel got up and went to Eli and he said, Here I am, will you call me? And he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, will you call me? Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling him. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there, calling as before, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is the word of the Lord. service where I invite the young disciples to come forward and sit down in front of the TV or the computer or whatever and we're just going to have a little bit of a chit chat together. The first story we just heard was about a young boy who God was calling by name and, and his name was Samuel. The story that I'm going to read here in just a second is a story where Jesus calls some people and knows them by their name. The, the one specific to the next story is going to be Nathaniel. So it's kind of interesting to see that names are important in the Bible, but I think names are important all over the place. So if you get in trouble, you know how mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or, or aunt and uncle, whoever it may be, you know you're in trouble because they use your whole name, don't they? So I heard quite a bit growing up, Mark Allen Boyd, stop what you're doing. That's my whole name, Mark Allen Boyd. And I knew instinctively that whatever it was that I was doing was something that I should not be doing. Now, you may be great little children, and you don't ever have to hear your middle name like that, but I heard it quite a bit. So I think if there's one day where the Lord said, Mark Allen Boyd, I think I might have uh, a little bit of a mess, because I wouldn't know what I would do with myself if I heard the Lord call my name like that. There are other times where your friends, they know you so well that they may have a nickname for you, or they, they may have something that they, they say, hey, bud, or something like that, and, and so that's how you know that you are their friend because you have this special connection uh, with your friend and, and the name that they call you. What I want us to know today is that God has a very special connection to each and every one of us. The Bible tells us that God knows us by our name, and in the story that I'm about to read, we also learn that Jesus is able to see us where we are. In the particular story, Nathaniel happened to be sitting underneath a fig tree, and the Lord saw him, and the Lord said, I have seen this great man, this great Israelite, and, and I want you to come and follow me. There's a great deal of things that you're going to deal with in your life, and you're going to be asked to come and follow your friends, or maybe your parents move, and they have to come and follow them and go someplace else. But the most important person that any of us could ever hear our name be called by, and then subsequently follow is the Lord. The Lord is going to put a call on your life, your whole life long. It may be to, to join the church one day to go through confession or confirmation, we're not Catholic, go through confirmation. We, we may be called to be a part of a committee or to be a volunteer at vacation Bible school or Sunday school. As you grow older, the church is going to ask a great deal of you. Part of being a member of the church means that we have to help the church do its work. And Christ is always calling us through the work of the church. We're always called to do something for the Lord. Whether it may be just be as simple as being thankful for the food that we're given and we're called to say a prayer for our food, or maybe that you're called to be a missionary and move to a foreign country and talk about the Lord there. But whatever your name is, the Lord knows it, and the Lord will call you to do God's work. 
So I hope that you hear that as something that's very special. Each of us is special in God's eyes, and God knows us especially because he knows our name. So we're going to pray, and we're going to thank God for the names that we have and for God's call on our life. Okay, pray with us. Dear God, you rock, and we love you, and we're so glad that you know our name. Our name is unique to us. We were named by special people in our lives, but we also know that you are the most special person to us, and you know our name, and we think that's pretty cool. So Lord, we promise our whole lives long to listen to you as you call our name. Call us to be your people, and we will be your people, for you are our Lord. Love you. Amen. We come to the time where we're going to read our gospel section today, so I invite you to read along with me. Your bulletin, if you happen to have your Bible with you, John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 43 through 51. Hear God's holy word. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip. And he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph of Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. And the Lord had blessing and understanding to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Holy God, we are ever so thankful for your story. We're thankful, Lord, especially for the way that we see you interacting with humanity, the story that is told about your love, those of us that you have called by name, like Philip and Nathaniel. Lord, we also know that you have called us by name. God, we ask that you be gracious with us as we try to understand your story for us and how it impacts us this day. All this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I want you to think back for just a second to a time when you were growing up. I think often about my neighborhood growing up. It was kind of a little bit of the outskirts of Barbersville, a, a place uh, we collectively called The Block. Um, it was two little streets that kind of formed a circle, and we were, when we got old enough, we were allowed to ride our bikes around the block or break play with friends who were on the other side of the block, but it really wasn't a block like a city block. It was just a little subdivision, and we happened to call it the block. We enjoyed riding our bikes, and we enjoyed, you know, playing basketball on the street and getting out of the way when a car would come. And some of my dearest friends grew up on that same street with me, and we enjoyed playing with each other. We played football, we built snow uh, men and snow women, I suppose, as well. But it was often initiated by a call. We didn't just kind of organically all go outside at the same time. Someone in the neighborhood would have an idea and they would come knock on our door and they would say, hey, can Mark come out and play? Or can Jason come out and play? Or can Ralph come out and play? Whoever it was, we would go to that friend's house and would ask. Now, sometimes it did kind of start on the bus ride home. Hey, I don't want to do homework today. Or hey, I don't want to wash the dishes. Or I don't want to 
pick up after the ball. So come knock on my board, and then we'll go play. Sometimes it was organized a little bit like that. But you always awaited that call. You wanted that to happen. And maybe in the colder months, it wasn't a knock on the door. Maybe it was a phone call then. But you, you always were looking forward to when your friends would ask you to come and play. There's one time in particular that was very exciting for me as a child. We, we grew up uh, kind of a buddy, a nursery. Uh, so there were a great deal of, of trees and people would go there to buy their, their plants for the summer, the tomato plants and things like that, flowers. It's called Myers Nursery. And upon exploration, there were some very, very massive hardwood trees in that nursery. And somebody in our neighborhood, I don't remember who it was, but somebody in our neighborhood got an idea that we should build a tree house in one of those giant trees. And so, hey Mark, you gotta come see this. Look what we're doing. And so we climbed the fence and we got into Myers Nursery and we worked really diligently on building Treehouse. The problem is, we didn't know this as children. Big trees can be sold just like little trees can be sold. And so we were somewhere in the middle of the day told that we needed to get off of that property and never come back again. And that they were going to contact all of our parents to let us know what damage we had done to their tree. I have never been so scared in all of my life and did not want there to be a call to the house or a knock on the door or whatever it may have been because I was scared to death that I was going to be in serious trouble for building a treehouse, innocently enough, I say now, uh, on someone else's property. But all of my friends were there with me. And so we thought it was awesome. It was a great idea that turned out to not be such a great idea. And the waiting that time was quite torturous. I can, I can say that that was a threat that never came to fruition. I never got in trouble uh, from the people of Myers Nursery they hadn't climbed the fence to see where we all lived when we took off running. So that's, that's the joy of this story. We are 43 verses into John's Gospel today, and Jesus has been identified with the Word present before all of creation, who then appears in the wilderness with John. Remember back a few weeks ago we talked about that. And so, so far in John's Gospel, different from Mark's Gospel last week, so far in John's Gospel, there hasn't really been a spatial area name. We don't have a marker, we don't have a particular geographical place until we get to our election for this day. Now, we're a little bit behind the eight ball with our text today because we're reading kind of the second call story in John's Gospel. For whatever reason, the people that organize the lectionary don't think it's important to read the first call in John's Gospel, uh, the call of Peter and Andrew, uh, until, uh, well, actually this Sunday last year we read that, so hopefully you can remember that story. Uh, but we don't get to read that in subsequent years or subsequent weeks in the lectionary. So we're looking at what we would assume is the first call story then with Nathaniel and Philip. Uh, it's not true, so today, maybe after the sermon, you can go back and take a look at the about eight verses prior to today's lectionary text. But we know that Andrew, in verse 41, something we didn't read, has just announced that Jesus is Messiah. And so you might expect the next thing to happen, if you know that, that we're looking through the Old Testament text, looking for when the Messiah might come, based on what the prophets have said throughout that history, the Messiah should then come probably to a place we know as the temple in Jerusalem. But no, uh, that's not what happens. Similarly to Mark's Gospel, um, the very first specific place that Jesus is connected to on earth uh, is in Galilee. And in fact, the way that John writes his gospel, it's that Jesus willed himself to go to Galilee. And so the fourth gospel is in many ways an argument within Judaism in the first century. It, it's not ever to be read as something that is. Unfortunately, Christians throughout history have used John's Gospel to say that it's anti-Semitic. It's not anti-Semitic at all. In fact, when it was written, people that were followers of Christ still considered themselves to be Jewish. And so this was really, uh, if you see anything in there that's a battle about anything with Judaism, it really has more to do with Galilean Jews who were known to speak Greek because they were close to the Decapolis, and the temple Jews, uh, the leadership in, in Jerusalem. Much in the same way, uh, 
people in our country sometimes argue with what goes on in Washington as the political leadership. Very much so the case is the same with Jerusalem. It not only was the religious leadership, but it was the political leadership in many ways as well. But those of us that live outside Washington, D.C. may complain about things that go on there, uh, or maybe sometimes even in our denomination, you complain about things that happen in Louisville, uh, where PCUSA is headed. Um, but it's, it's, not, it's not that we're trying to say that the people that live there are evil, the people that live in Washington, D.C. are evil. We just happen to have difference of opinion. And that's kind of what's happening in John's Gospel. So if you ever hear a Christian speaker say something about being anti-Semitic and quoting John, please don't, please don't do that. That's not at all accurate. Rather, it's an argument between two different sects of, of Jewish people. Galilee uh, is going to be the place where Jesus has his most uh, ardent supporters politically and theologically. And so from that perspective, it makes sense that this is the very first specific area, geographical place where Jesus does his ministry. All four Gospels kind of have Jesus' ministry being very uh, a stronghold in the Galilean area. And there is this, this thing that we're going to see in Mark's Gospel. I, I won't call it hatred, but it borders on hatred of all things uh, Jerusalem. Mark is, is not uh, a big fan of what goes on with the, the, the leadership theological leadership in, in Jerusalem. John doesn't quite have that, but there's at least a little bit of a tinge of disagreement for John. And so we have all this happening. When we see later in John's Gospel, we know that, that, that Jesus and, and the Gospel writer and even the disciples are not anti-all things Jewish leadership based because we know that Jesus has a conversation with a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee. Nicodemus becomes a follower of Jesus. But in Galilee, things are just, they're just different. So Jesus, we're told, found Philip. Not really sure how he found him, but the words that he used to call Philip were imitate me. That's what the Greek kind of says there. It doesn't really translate as well from the Greek into the English, but he said imitate me. We say follow me. But that word in Greek, it's an imperative form. And it means, be the same as with me. So that's all we kind of translate as, follow me. Come alongside me is maybe another way to say that, but be the same with me is what the, the word really means in Greek. And so Jesus has not really even said what it means to follow him. He's not really taught anything. We know from one he was baptized that, that John the baptizer said, um, this is the Lord. But that's not, we don't know what that means just yet. So Philip just decides to follow uh, and imitate Jesus, to be someone that's alongside him on this journey. And Philip is to trust Jesus, and he's supposed to do that implicitly. He's supposed to commit his himself to a future way of living, about which right now he knows nothing. He has no idea what's in store. He just is supposed to, to come alongside him. We're told that Philip is from Bethsaida, and so strictly speaking, and what we assume is around the year 30 of the Common Era, Bethsaida is not typically known as a Galilean city. By the time the Gospel was written, it really kind of is. That's about 60 years later. And so it's okay to call him a Galilean Jew. Um, he's certainly not really connected to Jerusalem, but he's a follower who is in the same general area that Jesus' ministry began. Now, interestingly enough, we're going to learn something about Nathaniel today. Nathaniel is, is this, this really kind of the highlighted person of our text. But this is the only place where we see Nathaniel as listed as a follower of Jesus. He's not necessarily listed in the, the 12 um, disciples in, in, the, in the listing of the apostles. Sometimes there's been some work that's done that says this may be Simon from Canaan or Bartholomew. It could even be Matthew. Some people think it's actually called Matthew. But the evidence for all of those associations really kind of falls short. So we just need to look at Nathaniel as Nathaniel. Maybe he was one of the 72 that was sent out and unnamed, but we know that he's directly connected to Philip. Philip being called by Christ, being called by the Son of, the, the Son of God, says to his friend Nathaniel, we have found the one. 
that Moses wrote about in the law and that the prophets have written about. His name is Jesus, he is the son of Joseph, and he is from Nazareth. Now, I'm going to break your hearts a little bit. Moses never really wrote anything about the Messiah. It's never something that, that Moses specifically names messianically. But we do kind of know that Moses said there's going to be someone that comes later who is, is, is great. God is going to lead us. God is going to guide us and direct us. What, what Moses was probably writing about was Joshua, which is okay, because Joshua was a pretty awesome leader for the people of Israel as well. But it's okay for us to think that that may be something that's happening. And of course, Philip is not a learned person. He's not someone that studies the Torah or anything like that. He's just heard people hypothesize. And so he says Moses wrote about this guy. It doesn't matter. What matters is that Nathaniel is, is invited to participate in something that Philip is super excited about. This guy called me to follow him. Come, check this cat out. There's a theologian named Ray Brown. You're going to hear me quote him quite a bit. But generally speaking, what we think is happening here is that, that Philip is so excited because the expectation of all of Hebrew scriptures point toward the one who is to come. And so that's who Philip says this person Jesus is. Philip was also saying something that may take us a little bit by surprise and says that he's the son of Joseph. Now, each of the four Gospels deal with the call story of Jesus and the life of Jesus in, in radically different ways. There's, there's some similarities, but there's also some differences. This is a big difference. So if we were Christians in the first century and we only got one copy of the Gospel, one one text sent to our church, we wouldn't know anything about the story of the virgin birth because John doesn't say anything about that. In fact, John calls Jesus the son of Joseph. I'm not going to read too much into that story, but put in your mind just a little bit about the different theology that's kind of being introduced to us here. The important story is that Jesus is of Nazareth. He is of Nazareth as his earthly father, Joseph, is of Nazareth, and Joseph was likely a, a fairly well-known, um, we call him carpenter, but really he was kind of a, a, a block layer, a mason. They would use, um, use blocks when they were wood. And so this is maybe somebody that, that Philip is, is maybe has heard of, Joseph of Nazareth. Nazareth is not a, not a very big town at all, even smaller then than it is now. And so I'm not saying to forget about the virgin theology, but understand that this is something that's, that Philip is trying to say to Nathaniel. There's, there's a person who's connected to a place that's similar to us. Now we know from last week when we read Mark's Gospel, uh, in verse 9 of chapter 1, that Nazareth is a Galilean village. It's kind of up on a hill. It's a beautiful little town. Uh, in today's Israel, it's, it's mostly controlled by, not controlled, but it's mostly Muslims who live there, uh, very few Jews live there, some Christians live there, and it's kind of an, an outskirt of the Galilean area. And so John's Gospel um, introduces us then to this second geographical marker, and it's in reference to Joseph, but also to Jesus. Galilee is only the first place that Jesus will to go, but it's his place of earthly origin. He is from X. And Nathaniel makes this little snide remark. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, I won't break into too many things now, but each little town has an opinion about another little town. We even have that today in the 21st century, right? It may be Dunbar for us, or it could be South Charleston, or it could be, you know, when I was growing up, it was Barberville and Milton, or Barberville and Huntington, sometimes Barberville and St. Albans. But, but we have those opinions about different places, and so I think, why would Nathaniel give up sitting underneath a fig tree to come see something from Nazareth that's not that special? But Nathaniel sees this as an opportunity to do something with his friend Philip, perhaps. And Philip replies to Nathaniel and says, the same words that Jesus had said to Andrew and Peter, again, in the text that we didn't get to read today, but if you go back and look at verse 39, chapter 1 of John's Gospel. Philip says in the scene of the exact same thing that Jesus said to Andrew and Peter. Come and see. Now, you don't have to believe me, 
You don't have to agree with everything that I'm going to say, but come and see. Come check it out. If, you, if then you don't believe it, then go back. Daniel, you can go back to your fig tree and just sit there and be a waste of matter if you have to. But at least come and check this guy out. Is, Philip is maybe a little bit nicer than I would have been. I, I would have gone, come on, man, don't you believe me? But, but Philip says, just, just come and see. It's a very convincing invitation. And then Jesus sees Nathaniel coming. We're not sure exactly where Jesus is standing when they're walking. We're not sure exactly the specific spot where this takes place. But he sees Nathaniel coming to see. And he says, Behold, truly an Israelite in whom there is no treasure. Now, if I had just said, Nothing good comes out of Nazareth, and the person that I'm going to come and meet is somewhat well known, at least to three people so far. And he's special theologically. And I just made this terrible remark. And then the person that I'm going to meet says to me, there is no treachery in you. I'm not going to feel the greatest. I'm going to feel a little weird. Because I kind of just said something treacherous. Nothing good can come out of this place. And I think this is where the story gets interesting. Despite what Daniel has said about Jesus, Jesus sees the blessing. That Nathaniel is. Jesus offers no reproach, no retort, he doesn't run away mad. Jesus responds with love. And Nathaniel says, Where do you know me? Now, there are two different themes that take place in the fourth gospel, and they really come around and are connected to this question that Daniel asks. The first thing is, John's Gospel takes a little bit of a swipe at Gnostic Christians. Gnostic Christians were ones who thought that there were kind of spiritual levels, uh, you know, once you got through certain levels, you got to see the next level, and, and Gnosis means knowledge, and so they were always seeking to be more knowledgeable, and if you got into their inner circle, then you were exposed to this knowledge, you were given the gift of understanding knowledge. And so to know something is rather important in the first century. And so John is kind of taking a swipe here at Gnosticism. There is no, there's no gift of knowledge. You either have it or you don't, and that's okay. And so to know Nathaniel, how do you know me? Jesus knows him better than anyone else. The second kind of theme that happens in John's Gospel is that it expresses an interior knowing, which will characterize all of the followers of Jesus. They will be known intimately by Jesus, and they will know Jesus intimately. So to, to be known by Jesus, to be named by Jesus, to be called by Jesus, is an invitation into something that none of us on earth will experience in the same way that the disciples. We can't be like the women who were at the grave on the day after Jesus' death, the day of his resurrection. We can't be like the disciples that were called. We don't have pinchable Jesus, remember from a few sermons ago. We have a pinchable Jesus. He's just not pinchable for us right now. So we can't be known as intimately and know Jesus as intimately as his first followers. It doesn't mean we're not known. We're just not known in the same way. This is a major theme throughout all of John's Gospel. And so when Jesus answers this, not cryptic question, but a very loaded question, he says, before Philip called you, I saw your true nature under the fig tree. Jesus saw the true Nathaniel. Maybe we were seeing Nathaniel under the fig tree wasting time. Maybe we were seeing Nathaniel under the fig tree not working taking a break, whatever it may be, whatever our imagination is about this person of Daniel sitting underneath the fig tree, Jesus saw him in his true self. Jesus knew Nathaniel. And however how Nathaniel hears that from Jesus, it's almost revolutionary. His response is, is rather radical. Radical! You are the Son of God. You are the ruler of Israel. Now, these are the highest titles that Jesus has been called, and we're 50-some verses into John's Gospel. 
And Jesus, I love Jesus' response here. This is the humor of God. Because I say to you that I saw you under a fig tree, you believe now all these other things? You're going to see greater things than that. Truly I say to you, you will see the heavens having opened up, angels of God coming up and down and landing upon the Son of Man. Fifty verses in, if you've been taking notes, several different things that Jesus has been on. Several times. He's been the Word. He's been the light of the world. God, the only Son. The Lamb of God. The Son of God. Rabbi. Teacher. Messiah. Anointed. Called Rabbi again. Son of God again. And now, the King of Israel. We are 50 verses in. Pick a title that you want to use to name Jesus. Yet this is the first utterance where Jesus refers to himself. Jesus doesn't use all those other fancy titles. He says, I am the Son of Man. He will show great things that are happening between heaven and earth. If you think back for just a second, when I talked about Jesus' baptism, remember when heaven and earth was ripped apart? Now that Jesus is here, we are able to see the angels ascending and descending upon Jesus in the same way that the dove, the Spirit of God, descended on Jesus. This radical change that was introduced at the baptism of Jesus is now being played out. There's something that's getting ready to happen. And we can now see greater because we follow Jesus. All you have to do is come and see. And it's awesome how God works. The call to experience God is one where he already knows us before he calls us. Now, ironically, at least for me, God's call on my life was not a vocal call as it was with Samuel. I was not sleeping and then awakened by God's audible voice, Mark, come and be a minister. In fact, most of my life I thought, I don't want to be a minister. I don't want that at all. I've tried not to be a minister. God uses other people to tell you what God needs you to do. Never forget, I was at Camp Cowan and was from the Cowboys, Virginia. And someone said to me, you're called to ministry. And I'm like, you are wrong. That's not what I'm called. But they were right. I was 17 years old and they were right. You are called by God to do something. And you can tell me I'm wrong. That's okay. But you're just arguing with the Bible. We're all called by God to do something special, simple, extraordinary, whatever that word may be. We're called by God to do something. And some of you are going to be called in short order and asked to do something special in this place. We have vacancies on session. And you may have just tuned out, but that's okay, this recording will play it for you again. You may be called to help fill one of those vacancies. We need your energy and your imagination and your leadership and your love. Similar to the way that I've been called to this place to be with you, to, to be the spiritual director to be the person that tries to help us understand the Bible a little bit better, you are helping all of us understand what it means to be called in this place, in this town, in this area, to serve God. Today, our officers of the church are serving and answering a call. It's a call of humble leadership. It's an indebted servitude to God at First Presbyterian Church in St. Augustine. This is their Nathaniel moment. It could be your Nathaniel moment. They've been called 
They've been seen by God. They've been named as spiritual leaders in this place. Those of you that are not on session, those of you that are not in leadership in this place, that doesn't mean that you don't have a job. The people that have just come off session, they do get a break from that leadership, but that doesn't mean they're finished in service. We're never finished serving God. Do this with me. If you just did that, you're supposed to be doing something for God because we're still alive. If we're alive, we're supposed to be doing something for the Lord. And maybe it's not in leadership this year, but you could be a Philip. You could be someone whose purpose is to say, come and see. We are called by God to run to our friends, to knock on their door, to call them on the phone, to message them on Facebook, to find out how they are doing. One of the joys of being a new pastor is this past week I got to make phone calls to some of the members. I'm going to call you too eventually. But just to start to learn the story of how we are in this place and how God has used us historically in this place. And it's great that we have this connection of friends that worship here that are members of this church, but there's a whole big wide world out there. They're not worshiping God. They don't know about love. They don't know about being seen as someone who is special, named by God. And our responsibility as the Phillips of the world is to live our life in such a way that we can easily say to them, come and see. Unlike the mischief of my youth where we're afraid of what that call may be, the call from God to service and to evangelism and to outreach is a simple, free, burden-less job. When we realize what it is that God is calling us to do, we can be excited and say, Rabbi, King of Israel, I will follow you. So let us take our role seriously for this next year. Whatever that is for you, Let's either be the best Philip we can be, the best Nathaniel we can be, the best Mark we can be, the best whomever. But let's do it because that's what Christ is calling us to do. And may us all be together. May we all be together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Now let us state what it is that we believe in the recitation of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now it's time for us to prepare our hearts as we give of ourselves, of our blessings in this world, as we return a portion of these blessings to the Lord in the forms of offerings and tithes. Let us now think about that sacrifice that we're going to make.
Holy and gracious God, we thank you so much for the many gifts and blessings that you have given to us in this life. Lord, as we return a portion of these gifts to you now, we ask God that you would guide us, direct us, and lead us to use these gifts in a manner which you see fit. All this we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I have a few prayer concerns to share with you this morning, in addition to the ones that are listed in the bulletin. School children are going to be going back to, to, to school, in-person school, rather soon. So we need to keep them and the teachers uh, and our thoughts and our prayers as they return that that can be a safe thing to occur. Also, college students are going to be returning uh, to campus as well, a little bit more at risk than the school children are, but uh, we should keep that uh, in our thoughts as well. Last night, I uh, heard from Kathy Wee. Her dad, some of you may know, uh, has had COVID. Um, and yesterday, a little bit of good news came in that he's going to go to a skilled nursing unit, we hope. Uh, he's in North Carolina. His name is Larry Willoughby. We should keep uh, Larry and Kathy and their whole family uh, in our prayers. Also, uh, this morning, she was going to be taking her friend, Cheryl Maynard, uh, to the emergency room to seek some treatment, not for COVID, but uh, for other medical issues. And so uh, keep them in our thoughts as well. I'm certain that many of you have concerns in your own life, some spoken, some unspoken. As we bring all those concerns, those burdens of our heart, also the joys and the praises of Thanksgiving, let's bring that all together as we lift our petitions to our Lord and to our King. Let us pray. Holy God, we thank you so much, Lord, for the call that you have extended to each of us in this life. A call, Lord, that begins at our salvation. Your sacrificial death upon the cross and resurrection, Lord, to save the earth of its sins, to set us free, to have us be known as those who are forgiven. Lord, we are thankful for that call, for your grace that sustains us. You, Lord, are our King. You are our Sovereign. You are our servant leader. We're thankful, Lord, for the examples that you have given us in this life, the way that we are to love you and love our neighbor, that you open our eyes, Lord, and see who our neighbors are and let us be burdened by their needs in this life. We're thankful, Lord, for the friends in our life, the friends who are like Philip, who have asked us to come and see. Remember, that may have been a friend, a parent, a loved one, Whoever introduced us to you, Lord, the Sunday school teachers, the nursery workers in our lives, we've always taught of your love, the way that you know us by name. We're thankful, Lord, for our story and how our story interacts with your story. And we are called to be your own. We are your sheep and you are our shepherd. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you love us and guide us and protect us and keep us safe. Lord, but always and every more, we know that you are the king of creation, but we also sometimes, Lord, have our series of doubts, our series of confusion. Lord, we, we have faith. We believe. Help our unbelief. We pray, Lord, for those people in our lives who need for you to be the great physician. Pray, Lord, for people like Kathy who have to love their family from far away as they suffer from COVID or other complications. But thank the Lord for educators who have answered the call to help others have more knowledge of life, of existence, the joy of living. Thank the Lord for our educators. Thank the Lord for our children and our young people who want to be educators, who want to be back in school. We also, Lord, for those who miss coming to worship each Sunday, who want to be here with their family or with their other house of worship, Lord, wherever they are stuck at home, we pray, God, that you would be with them in their loneliness and their brokenness and know that you are still calling them by name. Remind the Lord of our families. We're thankful, Lord, for those people that we call our own. We ask God that you would open our eyes to see the world as one big family. We can see those in need around this globe, Lord, and be inspired or driven to do something for them as well. 
I thank the Lord for missionaries who answer that call to go around the globe to teach of your name and to help feed the poor and the hungry, to help give medicine to the sick. In this season of global pandemic, Lord, we are ever so thankful for the medical personnel who treat others despite the risks to themselves. We thank you, Lord, that they have not been able to quarantine that each day of their lives, Lord, this almost year, they've been exposed daily, yet they still go and serve and heal. Thank the Lord for that sacrifice. Thank the Lord for the sacrifice that you made for us, that you so willingly came down to earth, that you ruptured the, the connection between heaven and earth so that we may now see angels Sending and descending, doing your work. We're thankful, Lord, for that work. We're thankful, Lord, also for the invitation that you call for all of us to be a part of that work. We're thankful, Lord, for the staff here at this place. We're also thankful, Lord, for the session at this place. We're thankful, Lord, for this place. This place that is our church home. We ask God that you would use us to be mighty and powerful, to be your source of grace here in our community. We're thankful, Lord, for the community of St. Albans. We ask God that you would continue to use us and the other churches here to be your hands and your feet, to be your love and your grace. Lord, also in the stillness of this moment, we are mindful of the peaceful transition that we hope takes place this week. Pray, Lord, for our current president and the last few days of his term. And Lord, we also are mindful of the incoming president. Thank the Lord for a over 200 year history of peaceful transition of power in God as we are still in this moment. We pray, Lord, and hope, Lord, for that to be the case. We pray, Lord, for cooler minds to prevail. We pray, Lord, that there is no rioting. That there is just peace. We pray, Lord, for your grace where we fail you. Lord, we're mindful of our place in this world. And we ask God that in the stillness of this moment, you hear our personal petitions. We're so thankful, Lord, that you know us. Whether it be sitting under a fig tree, sitting in our car, sitting in front of the computer, sitting at work, walking in town, working out at the gym, wherever it is, Lord, we know that you see us and you know us and that we are your own. We're so thankful, Lord, that you have showed us how to live. You've also taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Lend us the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now it's time for our final hymn today, Jesus Calls Us to Leave Home.
coming to the end of one athletic season in the NFL and college football and the beginning of several other seasons, I'm a huge hockey fan. My Penguins have not fared that well so far this week, and that's okay. Learning to live with that. We also know that there are many women and men who are athletic, um, athletically minded who are in high school, and it's this time of year uh, that they're also getting maybe their hopes up for championships, but also maybe even a call for the, them to continue practicing their craft, their hobby, their love, their sport, with a scholarship to a school. Maybe even some of you are athletically minded who think through college sports, you're also mindful of those who will be answering a call to professional sports. Those calls for those people, I can only imagine what that sounds like. To be able to be called into the big leagues, to receive this huge lump sum of money, we love you for who you are and what you can do, and we're going to pay you super, super well, because you're going to help us make a lot more money. Athletics are one of those things that I really enjoy doing as a child, as a young adult. I've never got that call. But it was always something that you had hoped would happen. Imagine, if you will, that same excitement to be called by God. Not for the riches of this earth, not for the fame, not for the glory that athletes get in this life, but the simple joy of being called by name, by God, to say, come and follow me. Friends, we've heard that call. And I hope that we are as excited, as ecstatic, as overjoyed to serve the Lord as we are to watch people compete athletically or to view pieces of artwork or to hear beautiful music presented. Those people who are professionally successful at their craft, they are amazing. They are gifted by God for that purpose, but their purpose is so much higher than entertainment. And so is ours. We're not here to be entertaining or to entertain someone. We're here to teach about God's love. And we as friends should reach out into this world and say, come and see and be so excited because we get to be part of God's kingdom, on God's team, on God's planet, and God's universe. As we leave this place this day, let us have that excitement. Let us carry that joy into the world so that the world may be saved. I receive the blessing of the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. May it be with us all until we meet again here for the glorious kingdom come. Amen and amen. Happy Sunday.